This is that place in the gathering that's usually a little bit of a family moment where we talk about events and things that are coming up. And there's nothing that I really need to, that needs to be shared with you this morning. So instead, I just want to have a little bit of a family invitation for you that I feel like might be healthy for us. Um, God is always on the move. And recently, we had a staff teaching together with Chuck Bomar. And in the room were all of the staff members of all of the Colossae churches. And one of the things he said was, he said, uh, monotony is the enemy of mission. Monotony is the enemy of mission. And what that means to me is when, when things become predictable and kind of the same all the time, we begin to lose purpose and we begin to lose the mission that we are on together with God. And that, that calls to me to always be growing and to always be moving. And I think if we look at the creation, God is always causing growth and movement. That's why the seasons happen, because God is causing growth and movement. He's always producing, and producing requires cycles, but it's never spring for 12 or 14 months, because if it was, we would never get to the fruit. It would just be flowers all the time. But out of those flowers, there's supposed to be fruit coming. And so we move on, and we grow, and things increase. And sometimes that's difficult. And then we get to that fall and winter part when the healthiest thing is for things to kind of go dormant, things to take a Sabbath, as it were, and to rest. But it's still a part of growth. And then we come back around to the spring, and things move again. And we certainly, as a church, want to be in this, um, these rhythms that God has created. And so that means that we are continually growing and increasing and producing. And so the commitments that I want to share with you just super briefly is I want to commit as lead pastor of Colossae Sherwood to pray more for this congregation. And in fact, I would love to start a regular prayer meeting that happens once a week and invite whoever's free to come with me. So if you have that burden as well and you would say, yeah, I'd love to find the time to pray for an hour once a week, come and talk to me and let's figure out when we could do that. I just really feel this call to pray for us as a church more and pray for our region more. And so that's something I commit to. I also want to commit to you greater leadership. Uh, I think that for the last couple of years, we've been blessed with a season of, um, of kind of just embracing each other, learning to trust each other, um, be, be figuring out who we are with, with me as your leader and with you as the body that you are. And it's been such a good season. Uh, but I believe that God is ready for us to move into more. And I know what that means for you as a church is more leadership, more vision, uh, more examples. And so, so that's my commitment. I'm also asking God for more, more of his Holy Spirit, more of his presence with us when we gather like today. And I want to ask you, if you're willing, would you also provide more in two ways? One is just more engagement whatever that means for you. We live very busy, highly distracted lives. And, and I get that, and that's a part of our culture. But I kind of have a feeling that we may not be making space for the best things, the best things that could happen in our lives. And that's just more of God and more of his work in our lives. So I would, whatever more engagement means to you, I, I'm inviting you today, would you be more engaged I mean, maybe it's as simple as, you know, getting here five or 10 minutes before 10 and getting the kids in class and getting your coffee and then, you know, sitting down. So at 10 o'clock, you're engaged and you're ready. Maybe it means serving. Maybe it means serving on the worship team. Maybe it means being a part of a community because you're not yet. But I, I want to encourage you. Would you please uh, 
take your engagement to the next level. That would be awesome. Take your engagement to the next level. And, and I mean this with all of my heart, would you be willing to communicate more? Um, we want so much to hear your thoughts and to know where you're at. And we've gone through some transitions. And I think we've invited communication. And I think sometimes we talk more to one another than to maybe the people that really would love to hear what we have to say. And I want you to know that maybe you haven't been a part of a church where this is true, but we here at Colossae Sherwood want to know your thoughts. We want to know your wisdom. We want to know what you see from where you are. And if you have things that you are burdened for, gosh, I want to know what they are because I have a feeling it's for the church and not just for you. And, and if there are things happening that for you are difficult, hey, let us know because it might be difficult for other people too. And, and we might need to make a change or two. So would you commit to more communication? Uh, and hey, I'm happy to send you a Zoom invite and talk for five minutes on video chat. <laughs> we don't have to have coffee if you don't have time. Uh, or pick up the phone or send us a text. But I, I want to invite you to more communication. That way you don't have to guess what's going on. You don't have to wonder, you know, what's the motivation in this new thing? Or why, is, why are we going to do that? Or who's that person? I'll answer all those questions. <laughs> but you've got to ask me those questions. Others on our staff, our elders, our, our teachers, we will answer your questions. There's no need to guess. So I invite you, more engagement, more participation, more communication. And I think if we do these things we're asking for, God will bless it and we will grow. Are, are you with me in what I'm saying, what I'm asking for? Yeah? Are you up for a little more engagement in some way? Whatever it means to you? Thank you. Are you up for honestly sending the email or making the phone call when you have a question or a burden or a blessing? I will answer. Daniel will answer. We want to engage. You won't offend. We're working on thick skin. I'm not very good at it, but I'm working on it. Tender hearts and thick skin don't come together. You have to learn the thick skin, but I'm working on it. So please bring it. Please bring it. Thank you. All right, so we are working our way just two and three verses at a time through Isaiah 43, uh, and I, I believe it's a wonderful thing to do that, but today I feel like it would be really important for us to read everything that we've gone over so far at one time, because there is, this is a full story, and I, I want us to see today's teaching in the context it was written. So let's do the honorable biblical tradition, or I should say Christian tradition, and stand for the reading of God's Word. Anybody been, heard that phrase before? Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Yeah. All right. Challenge here. I'm going to be reading for a few minutes. I'm going to be reading 10 verses. Here's an opportunity to engage. Would you stay with me through every word? Just every word. Let everything else go. Let's hear this. And if we need to, let's picture ourselves as Jewish. So put on your prayer shawl, maybe, or, or maybe you want to do this. I don't know. Is that Jewish? I think it's partly Jewish, no? Yeah, I've seen it at the Wailing Wall, right? Yeah. Let's be Jewish. Let's be Israel. And let's hear the prophet Isaiah speaking to God's people. Isaiah 43. 
beginning in verse 1. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created Jacob, he who formed Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not blaze over you. For I am Yahweh your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who calls on my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And now the last three verses for today. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Which of their gods foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove they were right, so that others may hear and say, it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be another one after me. Thus far in the reading of God's word, you may be seated. So Yahweh is speaking to his people through the prophet Isaiah, and he's working hard to convince them of some things. He knows that they are slow to believe what he says. He is saying things he has said many times before, but he knows that they're hard to accept. And so I hope you heard it as I read it. There's a convincing that's happening here. And I think in the center of what I read, you heard the words, I love you. And that's, that's where God is reaching into the heart. And Yahweh, the God of Israel, is, the, is Yahweh of everyone who believes in Jesus Christ as well. We talked about how many who are Jews by birth are not people of Yahweh because they fail to believe God and they fail to obey God. And many who are not Jewish by birth are the people of Israel because they believe in Jesus Christ. And we are, as Romans says, grafted in. Like you didn't grow up in the trunk, but I've taken you like a little sapling and I've grafted you in and so you are Israel now. And so we can hear these words that are also given to us. All right, let's take a little bit of time to work through these three verses today. So verse 8 says this. It says, lead out those who have eyes but are blind and who have ears but are deaf. Scholars are split on who is being referred to specifically here. The verses before these verses are all about Israel. 
it says, I will lead them out. And remember, Daniel mentioned the diaspora last week, that during the exile, Israel was totally thrown out of their country and their land. And they were taken to multiple places and they were dispersed around the local known world. And there's this calling back. And it's possible that this is referring to Israel lead out those who have eyes but are blind and who have ears but are deaf. It's also possible that it's referring to Gentiles because the verses after this verse say, let the nations of the earth come together, bring them together. It says all the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. So it's not very clear and scholars are pretty split. The good news is I'm not sure that it matters because these verses are referring to really any human at all, whether Israeli, you know, Jewish, or Gentile. The words are let people, let humans who have eyes but are blind and who have ears but are deaf, let them come. And what is being set up by the prophet Isaiah is this public, global trial. The prophet is really calling all humans together. What he's saying is Yahweh wants to draw out his people and bring them back together to be a unified community because he has a job for them to do. And then he wants all of the rest of the nations to come out as well into this public trial so they can hear what Israel is going to say. He's setting up an opportunity for there to be this trial or this challenge between Yahweh and any other supposed gods. So that's what's happening. I want to reference just briefly, and we've got a slide for this, the New Testament reference to the same thing. So this is what we're talking about. People who have ears but can't hear and eyes but can't see. Paul writes, for since the creation of God's invisible... Uh, <laughs> sorry. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power... His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, birds, animals, and reptiles." God revealed himself in creation, and he put enough out there that any human who would slow down and take the time could begin to understand who God is by observing the world around him. And we've talked about this before. This is certainly not new, but we know what this is like, right? You know what it's like to sit in front of a sunset or to take a hike or to be camping on the beach and take that moment where you're just taking it in. And man, it smells awesome. It looks beautiful. The breeze or the water feels good on your skin. You are enjoying God. God is refreshing. God is beautiful. God is powerful. God is always moving and changing. And what he's saying is, hey, I made myself known in the creation that I gave to you. And if you as humans would sit in that long enough, you, your head would begin to figure things out. And you would begin to see my invisible qualities, my power, and my nature. But... Sadly, so many humans say, I don't think so. I don't think so. And today, I think more than any time, we've said, I don't think so. And so we've taken the very thing. We've taken creation, which is God's, God's um, business card, saying, hey, here's who I am. This is my identity. And we've said, I don't think so. So much so that we've taken science, and science is simply the observation of creation. 
Science is the observation of creation and making some theories about why it is the way it is, how it got to what it is, where it came from. That's what science is. And the conclusions to many people today are, there is no God. That's the conclusion. Like God said, I revealed myself in creation. And they look at creation and they go, oh, there's no God. And, and it should be kind of like, whoa, how do you get there? Some even go so far as to say, this is an accident because they realize the impossibility of humans being alive in a universe somewhere in the cosmos. They say it's crazy. The odds of this happening are insane. But it did happen. What an amazing accident. Oh my gosh. And God, of course, is kind of going, oh, wow. Really? Really? Come on. <laughs> I mean, Look at all the systems. Look at the complexity of life and of your body. And that even though you don't care and you don't work hard at it, and sometimes we don't treat our bodies very well, they just keep going. They just keep going. And they're pretty fragile. I mean, you go without sleep long enough and you die. You go without food long enough and you die. You go without water long enough and you die. They're very fragile. But we're still here and we keep getting up every morning. I had a biology class that I wish everyone could have attended when I was in Christian college. The man who taught it was such a soft-hearted man, and he was so deeply in love with God that more often than not, at the end of our class, we were in tears. We were literally in tears because he would explain the complexities of creation and the beauty, and the whole time he would attribute it to God. And at the end, he was just like, oh, God, I love you so much. This is awesome. And we were like, okay, at least the first class. But then by the end of the semester, we were right there with him. We were like, you're right, Dr. Baker. This is amazing. God is so good. And yet we get to this place where we say, humans say, there is no God. And this life is an accident. Ah, oh, no. And this is why this trial, this public trial is happening. God wants to deal with this. So he's calling out people who have ears to hear the birds sing and the rivers roar and the lightning strike but they don't hear God. And people who have eyes to see a sunset and a sunrise and a child and beautiful food, and they say there is no God. They have eyes, but they can't see. And God is wanting to change that reality. And so he says, lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. Let's move on to verse 9. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Which of their gods foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Now, this is a little bit cryptic, so let's unpack it. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Which of their gods foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? So there's the assumption here that people look to something outside of themselves to understand creation. Some of the answers seem to be there. There seems to be more to life than just the body and the world. And so they pray, they meditate, they talk to one another. Uh, they try to interpret what the world is saying, and they create religions. Religions are interpretations of what is more than physical. Like, where does love come from? Where did we come from? Where does purpose come from? Why is there purpose if we're accidental? Why, is there, why are there goals? Why is there a sense of destiny? 
And so we look outside ourselves asking those questions, and that's where gods come from, is that we look for them. And we're looking for two things. Which of their gods foretold this? We want a God to know where destiny is headed. We want a God who can foretell what life is all about. There's a pretty clear sense that life is good, but there's so much about it that's not. Is this what it's going to be perpetually forever? And we have, it says in the scriptures, eternity in our hearts. There's this sense inside of me, there's got to be something better. I can imagine it better, and I want the better. What is the better? And so we're looking for a God who will tell to us what is destiny, foretell what is to come, show us. And then the other question that we ask just naturally and intuitively is the former things. In other words, where did we come from? What is our history about? And so most religions uh, are working on these two things. There's usually some kind of a creation story involved, and then there's some sense of a future destiny. And we're living in a time in between those two, and we're looking for these things. And what Yahweh is asking is that all of humanity would come out into a public forum and that he could talk to his people and that they could answer these questions. But he's also inviting all of humanity to bring their own gods and to provide their answers as well. He's basically saying, let's have a debate about human destiny and human uh, origination. Where did humanity originate and where is humanity going? These are questions we need answered once our stomachs are full and the kids are in bed and we're sitting around the fire. Those are just the questions that need to be answered. Where am I going to get food? That happened already. When are my kids going to go to bed? That happened already. Where did I come from? Where am I going? And so we debate and we talk and we look for answers. And God wants to provide those answers for humanity. So he's providing both a story of our origin and also a story of human destiny. So then the, third, the second part of verse 9 says this. Let them, that is the nations, let the nations bring in their witnesses to prove they are right so that others may hear and say, it's true. It's true. And I think there's a lot of sarcasm in here. God is saying, let the nations bring their witnesses to prove they are right so that others may hear and say, it is true. Now I want to remove projected humanness on God as if the goal of God would be to win a debate and to prove humans wrong and stick his finger in their chest. That's what we do a lot in debates. And we'll watch a debate and we'll be, ah, that Christian guy just smoked those people. It was so awesome. That's humans. That's humans. That's broken humans. We are talking about Yahweh. What's the highest characteristic of Yahweh? If you could only say one word. Oh, yeah, awesome. <laughs> I was hoping nobody was going to say something else. Love. So love does not stick a finger in the chest. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, sometimes it does. In the, in the chest of teenagers, maybe, or, or people. Or religious people. Or religious people. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for the clarification. But that's not what Yahweh is doing here. He's saying nations come together. I'm, I'm so desperate that no one should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so I want you to know the truth. You've listened to a lot of gods and they're lying to you. And I want you to know the truth. 
So let them bring their witnesses to prove. Now, what God does stick his finger into is those who lead into falsehood, religious people. Those who lead, he says, if you cause one of the least of these children to stumble, to misunderstand me, to misunderstand that they are loved and that there's a place for them, then I wish you would wear a necklace with a very large stone on it. (laughs) And I wish you would go swimming. And I wish you would drown. Because you've abandoned your own life, but don't come into my humanity and cause others to abandon their lives as well. That's why God can be angry. Not because, okay, you gave up. Brokenheartedly, I will let you go. But don't take anyone with you. Don't take anyone with you. I want them back. I want them back. And this is the burden of leadership. God does not, over the long haul, tolerate false leadership. All right, let's get to that final verse. Isaiah 43, 8. Sorry, it's actually 10. Typo. Then Yahweh says to Israel, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe and understand that I am he, I am Yahweh. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be after me, nor will there be one after me. God is always working to shut down false gods and false stories of origin and false stories of destiny. And he's always working to share with each generation the truth, the truth about origin, the truth about destiny, and the truth about everything in between. And he has said to his people, this is why I chose you, because I want you to be my witnesses. And this is the highest human calling on earth, is to say yes to Yahweh, yes, I will be your witness. And God is calling these trials together every day. And he's creating spaces every day for his witnesses to tell the truth about origin and identity and purpose and destiny. And he's invited us who have believed to do that. He did it with Israel because Israel was his his nation. And then he did it again in the new covenant through Jesus. Israel, remember, is the mother of Jesus. Israel was created, yes, to be a witness, but knowing they would fail, Israel was created to be the birthplace of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The ultimate hope of Israel was not that they would pull off the witness, but they would be the family of the witness. And the witness and the one servant, notice my servant is singular, the one servant is who? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, the, the church answer, not the squirrel. Jesus, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And so Jesus comes to the church, and he says the same thing. So what, is, what does he say recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 2? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and, and throughout the earth. In other words, throughout the nations, you will be my witnesses. And you will let people know that I am the only God that I am the God of love, that I am the one who is your origin, and I am the one who controls your destiny. 
and life with me is good. Are, are you happy about that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know it's not new news, but it's still as good as it was the first time. No matter what waters we go through in the life that we've been dealt, and no matter what fires seem to come to make life hard and destroy, God says what? I am with you. What else does he say? Do not fear fear because your destiny is in my hands. And I have some amazing plans for you. Your destiny is in my hands. I am who I am. Let me bring this down to a very personal place. So this is last Christmas. And in the middle, there's Trisha and I. And these are what at the time were our 12 grandchildren. Now there's another one, just born in September. When the scripture says, I will gather your children from the east and the west, I think of this. It's my picture. And that's a really cool picture for me. Wow, I love those kids. And they are scattered over Portland. And when Christmas comes, I love that they're gathered together and that we're all in the same house. But I want to tell you a couple secrets, so go ahead and go to the next slide, which is nothing. <laughs> Two of those children are adopted, and one of them is fostered. And in a sense, they were born to other gods. They, without the help of anyone else, are being told a different story. You were born unwanted. The ones who originated you are not available. The ones who originated you don't have the capacity to love you and to care for you. And even though they can be told to the contrary, it's going to be challenging when they come to that kind of middle school, high school place of awareness and the story becomes clear And they're going to start asking, why am I really here if I wasn't wanted? And what is my destiny if I don't have a family? And my children can say to those adopted children, hey, you're our family. Your destiny is to be a vote for the rest of your life. Or other last names because my daughter's married guys and they took their name. (laughs) And my children will tell them that story, but will they believe that story? Or will they believe the story of abandonment and that they weren't loved? And that's really, that's the state of the world. Every human at some point recognizes that their origin isn't enough. And the talk of what destiny is is not good. uh, The destiny that science is telling us is you have 80, 90 years, and then you no longer exist ever again. And I just don't know who can be happy with that because my soul says something different. Eternity is in my heart, and that just sounds awful. And I don't believe it, and God has told me a new story. God has told me that there is a destiny and that there is life out of this body in a new body that won't fall apart and won't degenerate. 
we as the people of Yahweh are like my biological grandchildren. They know they belong. They know that their births were not accidents. One or two were surprises, <laughs> but none of them were accidents. And they have been received and wanted. And there's a family around them that wants to see them through the entirety of their life into goodness and adulthood. And that's also what we are as the church. So no matter what your origin was, the origin that belongs to you today as a child of God is that I am the God of origins and I am the God of destiny. And I have both your origin in mind and your destiny. This is why it says in the book of John, children born not of the flesh, but of the Father's will. When we become followers of Jesus, we are adopted like two of those grandkids. We're adopted, no matter how we started, how good the story was, it's incomplete. We're adopted by God who says, from this day forward, you're mine. From this day forward, I honor you and I love you and I have a plan for you. From this day forward, I give up things to redeem you. And that's who you are. But there are some children in this world that, haven't, that aren't in this family. In fact, most humans on the planet today don't know what you know. And most humans on the planet, or more than not, don't believe what you believe and what I just said. And so God has called every generation, come and be my witness. Come and tell the story. Come and tell the story of origin, the story of destiny, the story of love, the story of forgiveness, the story of acceptance. Witness, if this is true, witness. And here's the beautiful thing. When we tell the story, the only story we're really being asked to tell is our story. So if you believe and you have accepted the truth of this God who says you're on the planet because it was my will and I gave my son for you so I saved you and I have plans for you for after this life, that's all you need to know. And if we say I can't witness, I don't know how, then the question is, don't you have a story? Are you not saved? Have you not experienced the love of God? Have you not believed what God has said? If you say, I don't have anything to witness about, or I don't know how to witness, you're, you're saying, I don't have a story to tell. Is this true? Yeah, but you do have a story to tell. You have an awesome story to tell. And that's what it means to witness. Now, I don't mean to put down knowing the scriptures better, and being able to articulate better about reality and truth and philosophy and all of that, if you are up for that, go for it. But at least everyone in the room who accepted Jesus has a story to tell. And this is where we're at today. And I think more than ever, more than any other generation, the nations have been gathered together through the internet and social media. And the trial is going on all the time. What's true? Where did we come from? Where are we going? What are humans for? These questions are being discussed constantly and sadly by witnesses who really don't know what they're talking about. They've got theories, they've got ideas that flow out of brokenness and misunderstanding and woundedness. Where's the voice of the witness of God? You and I know the right story. You and I know the truth. Why would we hide that truth or be embarrassed about the truth? 
Now, granted, I think sometimes this witnessing has been modeled poorly, but I'm asking you and I to grow out of that. Our forefathers made some mistakes, and they did it wrong a lot. But that's not on us, and that doesn't give us an out to not be witnesses. I, I want to call on the new generation, do it right. If you have bad examples, that's great. Don't do it like that. Just do it right, whatever you perceive right to be, with gentleness, with kindness, with love, with understanding, with listening ears, but also with courage and boldness to say, you know, I hear what you're saying, but you might, there's something you might not know. Can I tell you my story? Can I tell you my story? This trial is still going on today. And Jesus asks you and I to be his witnesses. You are my witnesses. Be courageous. Tell the story. Don't let these orphaned children remain lost and confused about where they came from and where they're going. And let me say something about origins. It's tragic that origins got caught up in the how of origin. Scripture was never written to be a textbook on the the science of the origin of humanity. The key to origins is who and why, not how. We thought the earth was flat for a long time, and we were wrong. We've gotten the how wrong many, many times. We even still today call it sunrise and sunset. My friends, the sun never rises scientifically, and the sun never sets scientifically. Why do you keep saying it? Because it's poetic, and it's beautiful, and and it explains it for me, and I get it. That's what the origin story of Genesis is. It's a sunrise, and it's a sunset. It's not a scientific representation. And that's why we keep telling the story, because God said, I want to create, and I will create, and he created, and he created us, and he created creation. That's what needs to be retained. Not the science of the details of the ages of rocks or how long things took to develop. Let's not get lost in that conversation. It's so distracting. The conversation was, are we an accident or we are here by the will of a God who loves us and has purpose for us? And you know the answer, right? Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) From the mouths of children. Is that Ezra? Awesome. Don't shut him up. (laughs) Church, let's stand. I want to invite you to engage in the worship of God if what we have just talked about is true for you. And if you believe, then it might be appropriate to express gratitude and wonder and amazement. And I just invite you to engage these next couple of songs in worship of Yahweh who loves us and who is not willing that anyone should perish but that all should come back to the Father of all creation. Father, um, we lift our hands to you like little children and we say, Would you receive us? We still have a lot of growing to do, but we love you. And we want to be picked up by you. So God, we reach out to you.
And we ask, say, hey, Father, pick me up. Lift me up, God. I'm weak, I'm incomplete. Maybe today I'm tired. But lift me up. Make me strong. Make me a witness for you for the sake of others that you love. In Jesus' name.